Let's pray. Psalm 119, starting with verse 153. Oh Lord, we pray that you would look on our affliction and deliver us. For we, uh, we do not forget your law. We, we remember what you have taught us and we hold on to those teachings and trust in your promises. Plead our cause and redeem us. Give us life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give us life according to your rules. Many are our persecutors and our adversaries, but we do not swerve from your testimonies because we know that those testimonies bring life and salvation even to our persecutors and adversaries. We look at the faithfulness, at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. And it is so frustrating and heartbreaking. Consider how we love your precepts. Give us life according to your steadfast love. Not that we've earned it, but because you've loved us. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Amen. So, we'll see how far we get. Um, I'm kind of hoping that we might manage to finish chapter 5 today. There's a little bit of repetition in what we're going to go through here. Um, but I want to start with uh, another kind of fancy theological term, um, and that is vicarious atonement. Um, if we look at somebody and say that they are living vicariously, what does that mean? Okay. Through somebody else. Yeah, so sometimes we hear this about parents. They live vicariously through their kids. You know, so they're a little bit over-invested in how, you know, Sally did at her softball game, you know, and they feel like that, you know, her performance reflects on who they are and, and their value and, and all of those things. Um, so in worldly terms... Living vicariously is um, probably not the most healthy thing that we can do. That being said, spiritually um, speaking, uh, living vicariously is really the only way that we can live. You know, we live through Christ and we have life in him. And so when we talk about the vicarious atonement, it's really about how Jesus has done everything and then we are kind of inserted in him. Uh, we talk about this sometimes as wearing the robe of righteousness or being covered by his blood. Um, it, we find a new identity, and that identity is Jesus. You know, the name Christian itself means little Christ. You know, and so it's you know, being seen in him. And, and so our salvation comes through um, that representative who went to the cross, and, and we participate in him. And that's really key in, in what's coming up here as we talk about um, the first man and the, the later man. Um, and and what, what Paul is going to do here, the Holy Spirit through Paul is going to do is he's going to make a comparison about what happened with Adam and sin and what happens with Jesus and atonement. And those two things are going to play off of each other. And we're going to find that, you know, in Adam we have death. But with Jesus coming, um, in him 
we have life. So, uh, Romans 5, 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So it says that sin came through, through one man. There are two words in Greek that traditionally get translated, you know, man. Mm-hmm. Um, one is anthropos, which can mean a man, as in a male human being. But it also gets used generically of a person, of any human being. You know, and we experience this in, in Old English, old as in, you know, all the way back to the 1970s. Um, you know, th- this is a pretty big change that's taken place in the way that, uh, that we communicate. You know, and, um, you know, it, it, language changes. Other languages are highly gendered. You know, um, in, in Spanish, everything has a, a gender. Greek, you have, you have three, you have male, female, and, and neuter. Um, Hebrew, everything is male or female. You know, and, and everything is gendered that way. In English, um, it tended to kind of all gravitate in, into masculine type of language when it was grouped together. Uh, and that's why in the past, you know, this was just translated as man or men. Um, it, it's another way of saying humanity. You know, and, sons. Yeah. Same deal. Yeah. You know, sometimes in some situations, you know, you, you have to be a little bit discerning when you translate these things. Sometimes when it talks about our, our fathers, it's talking about all those people who went before us and not just the male ones. Yeah, and because uh, uh, Deborah was one of the fathers. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Well, we all know that woman came out of man. That's true. So, and when, when God refers to man in the Bible, I'm, a, I'm assuming that he means us, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know I but, know like it was in the 70s that when the feminist movement really got strong and everything, but... but it's a shift that's taken place. Yeah. You know. I think that my, my favorite illustration of this is in the Nicene Creed in, um, in Latin, et homo factus est. It does not mean that he became, well, I mean, it does mean he became man, but it means more along the lines of uh, he became a human. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because man, woman came out of man, but man is born of woman. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, so was Eve the one man through whom sin no. came into the world? No. No. And I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Um, so, uh, so when we talk about this word anthropos, um, maybe you've heard of anthropology. Anthropology is not the study of men; it's the study of humanity. Right. You know, um, the other word is aner, um, and that is used exclusively of human beings. And this passage is anthropos. It's 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 all about humanity. And it's not dealing specifically with Jesus' maleness. Um, 
And I'm not saying that Jesus being male doesn't matter. You know, it's part of who he is. Um, but his maleness is not, but his maleness is part of his humanity. Um, and his maleness is not what makes him human. Yeah, don't misgender God. Yeah, so, um, so as Ed is already glommed onto here, who does the text blame for the fall into sin? I mean, it's 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 Adam, but Adam is the human. That human, the human, turned away. But he's blaming Adam. Yes, and he, he's not singling out Eve. Not at all. Which is the way that it has often been done throughout history. Yeah, like the woman was the woman's fault. Yeah. But Adam bore the responsibility because Adam was created, and he had a helper, and that responsibility was on him. Right. And her, but on him because she was created out of him to be his helper. Yeah, right. I don't think she. I don't think he gave her a lot of information. I don't think she took it as seriously as well, he did. I, I mean, that's uh, that's just a theory, but sure, you know. But you know what we can find in the text is you know a pretty clear um, you know kind of chain of events here. So Genesis two seventeen. God says, you shall not eat from the tree. Right. Who does he speak those words to? To Adam. Adam. He gives those words specifically to Adam. 2.17, or 2.18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Okay. The command goes to Adam, and then comes the helper, which I always have to pause on this word because I love it. The word that we translate helper is the word ezer. And, um, yeah, oh, I can't remember the name of the hymn, but here I raise my Ebenezer. Yep. Come thou fount of every blessing. Yeah. I, I need to make sure that every time that hymn comes up that I pause to explain that word because when we hear Ebenezer in our culture, you know, we're thinking of the Christmas carol. Yeah. yeah. You know, but Ebenezer, uh, Eben is, is stone Ezer is help, okay? Uh, so God creates Eve as an Ezer. And uh, I did a little word study on this word, Ezer. Um, Eve is pretty much the only person that's ever used of. Every place else it's used of primarily God, mm -hmm. but other divinities occasionally as well. And, and in those contexts where it's talking about, you know, um, the other divinities, it's like your helper is useless. And so this word Ezer, um, it, it really, uh, the, the, idea, the idea is that um, not that Eve is Adam's helper in, in the sense of like, when I was a kid, um, my dad would say, I, I need your help, Eric, which usually just meant hold this flashlight and shine it where I'm working. No, not there, where I'm working. No, not there, where I'm working. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, uh, <laughs> I was really relieved uh, this trip to Michigan. I was talking with my brothers a little bit, and they had the same experience. <laughs> um, but uh, she's a helper almost in the sense of a savior. Developed community. There was an um, 
an interconnection. Um, and there was a need for both of them to yeah. feel the need for each other. Yeah. And out of that came descendants, you know, so that the helper really um, was a reflection of who God wanted Adam to fully become and vice versa. So they were both incomplete without the other. So when we hear the word helper, we tend to think, you know, here's somebody and then there's somebody beneath them. But this is more, I come, yeah, you know, come alongside. Yeah, like a mutual. And, you know, I think about that when Jesus said, my yoke is easy. And that image of the yoke with an ox, you know, that that you really cannot work well alone. And there's always a mutual tie. Yeah. But I think God made uh, women have different characteristics than men. Mm, yeah. Not the fact that she can have a baby and he can't, but I mean, there's other things. That's a that significant are difference. Totally different between <laughs> men and women, and they, they can complement each other and help each other in that. Yeah, I often tell couples that when when they come in for premarriage counseling that they should complement each other with an eye in the middle. Hey, babe, you look good. Um, but they should also complement each other. That their strengths and weaknesses yeah. work off of each other to help them to be They're stronger and better together than alone. Yeah. yeah, Joe. I have a question. We've gone past the point, but I'm going to add, uh, say something about this part. I always thought of marriage is that that lateral. You're working together and working to help each other. Not one above them, not one below, but lateral working together to address that. But I'm taking you back because I'm a little bit naive, dumb, in a sense, and I don't know if you ever heard this, but back to Adam and Eve. Eve has always, like you said, been the fault at everything. And also I've heard this as I was working as nurses from a lot of people that because of Eve was responsible and guilty, she must suffer pain, therefore through birth. She's having pain. Have you ever heard of that before? What the text actually says is, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. Which I... Because Because I, I was kind of where, where you were before. Yeah. Uh, but if you increase pain, that means that there was pain there before. Okay. Yes. Yes. I right? understand that. And so it seems to me, and a lot of this is, you, you know... It's not what the text was written for, and you know you're kind of trying to draw some conclusions. So there's some uh, some speculation going on here. Okay, so it seems to me that there was probably pain in childbirth before. Yeah. Okay. But you've seen babies born, right? And you know that the process is extremely painful, and the moment that that mother the mother receives that child, mm-hmm. so often what just like goes away. Yeah, it goes away. Me too. Yeah. 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 And I think too that, you know, our world doesn't look at pain as something positive. But when Jesus came into the world, he was called to be a suffering servant. Yeah. And that God works through that. So I think, you know, this this whole interpretation of Eve uh, bringing the pain, it's like, that's wrong. But pain is a consequence, obviously, of being human. But when Jesus was called in the incarnation, he was called into pain. Yeah. So I think, you know, as Christians, we cannot expect our lives 
to be painless. Right, right, right. Right, and right. That, that Eve, yes, she was called into pain and also because of sin. Mm -hmm. What mother doesn't grieve for her children when right. they are, that emotional tie is so mm. strong and, and expressed so vividly through women when their children, grandchildren, mm -hmm. and you know, men, I, I'm not saying that men don't suffer the same way, but the pain is so obvious yeah. in women. Mm -hmm when there is suffering, and I think that's holy. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's something that is um, to be avoided. Mm -hmm. yeah. To a large extent, pain is a blessing, because if there isn't pain, you don't know that you have to get your hand out of the fire. Mm -hmm. You don't know not to touch these things. Pain teaches you things that you couldn't learn otherwise. And with kids especially, you can tell them until you're blue in the face, yeah. but until they try it and it hurts, they don't really listen. Yeah. And then God's done the same thing with us. He tells us, and then we get some pain so that we know that he's not just given rules because he can. Well, and I also think that pain also works sort of another way. Uh, I, I was shown, uh, my mom showed me something, because uh, you know, we run, a, we run a lot of races and we do a bunch of other weird things. And she, she showed me something that was type two fun. Uh, there's type 1 fun, which is where you're having fun at the time, and there's type 2 fun, where you're not having fun at the time, but you have a lot of fun in retrospect. And <laughs> that, uh, I think that that's kind of true for sort of general experiences as well. If, if there is, it, it, I don't generally tend to remember the, the times in my life where I did not suffer as well as I do, as well as I do those when I had some some form of work or some form of labor or suffering that I had to go through, because uh, it, it just makes things more meaningful. Uh, and you know, I, I think also that's sort of expounded in the church with the, with the whole law and gospel as well. Without without the gospel, the law, the the laws worthless, and without the law, the, the gospel is meaningless. So. Um, but also another question, this is sort of a technical one, but um, if you read like cover to cover the Bible, the, the, first, the first commandment you encounter in Genesis that is directed to humans is be fruitful and multiply and rule the earth. Mm -hmm. But if, it's a little bit ambiguous chronologically uh, because that takes place in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 does not exactly follow the same timeline right. as Genesis 1. Uh, so is that the first commandment, or what exactly is is the doctrine on that? Like, I, I think you got to be careful with some of that. Um, you know, you know when I, when I read Genesis one, Genesis one is a summary of, of of the creation of the world, and I hold that it is a seven day creation. You know, I that, that's what the text says. Right. You know, um, and but at the same time. It is it is poetic, and its purpose is not uh, to teach you you know science. It's really to teach you where you came from. Well, I, I understand that, but the reason why I asked specifically about the about the commandment is because that commandment is, in my opinion, an incredibly meaningful one. Because if you don't have this understanding from the beginning that God intends man to rule the, to rule the earth then when the fall happens, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense as to why everything went south instead of just man. And you're going to get this when you get into, into Hebrew, when, when, it's, when it says that you know, he will have dominion. Um, 
that dominion is like a stewardship. It's not. Um, I, I, under, I understand. You know, and so there's actually a sense of of service right. to the creation, not just you know a um, I have power and authority over mm-hmm. to use however I want. Right. You know, so that there's a relationship within uh, the the created order that you know recognizes that we ourselves are creatures. Certainly. Yeah. Ed, you've been patient. Well, I imagine that. <laughs> I am going to get back to the texture eventually, but... Uh, maybe I've got my chronology all mixed up again, but I always thought that at the point where, where God says, I will increase your pain and labor, that they had not had any children. They had not. So what was it... In- that we know of. I mean, they, they, it's an increase over the pain that would have been there. Not the pain that actually was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Amy, I saw... Yeah, because you want to digress some more, right? Um, (laughs) It's what I do. So my question is, if Eve had eaten and said, here, Adam, and Adam said, oh, no. (laughs) Good question. Is that it? And and is that the fall of everybody through Eve? There's actually a, uh, a mythology, a Jewish mythology called the Kabbalah, uh, that uh, talks about a female character named Lilith, that was Adam's first wife, <laughs> who was more disobedient and uh, um, and and he did not listen to her, and so then God, you know, broke up that, and you know, yeah, so. People have tried to explain that, and, you know, and, and, and wrestle with that. Um, my clear and concise answer will be, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're really saying it's Adam, it's Adam, it's Adam, then what Eve did is irrelevant in a way. I mean, other than yeah. in, in, in enticing. No, I don't think so. Because I think it reveals the character of the interplay between Adam and Eve and the persuasive power that a woman can have with a man and the nature of the authority and the uh, relationship between the two. And as that plays out, I know that there are many exceptions to the rule, but um, the feminine persuasive power it is, is pretty strong. And I think in the story, that's really that's that's brought up that there is power in that. Yeah, C.S. Lewis dwells on this question. Um, in uh, he wrote, everybody knows the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote another series of, of, of fiction books called the Space Trilogy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Out of the Silent Planet is the first one. Yeah. The second one, Paralandra, yeah. really deals with the question of what you're talking about, and for my money probably gives the best answer to the kind of the what should have happened here. What should have happened is that Adam should have stepped in and said, no. Yes. You know, he should have protected his wife in that moment. You know, um, and uh, um, if you haven't read those books, by the way, I, 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 I highly recommend them. You know, they are not children's books like uh, uh, Narnia. Um, not that Narnia is not, a, you know, challenging to adults too mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the great things with good literature is you know no matter where you are 
you know, there's going to be something for you. But this one is above a lot of kids' heads and uh, really, really well done and uh, deals with some really fascinating questions. And um, the last book in the series, um, that, hideous face. that Hideous Face, yeah, that deals with some things that, you know, even in our culture today, you know, where do you put your faith? Where do you put your trust? You know, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, you know, he was a he was a deep thinker, uh, Lewis. So, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to before, and I'm gonna work my way back down um, through this timeline. So 217. You must not eat from the tree. Spoken to Adam. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'm gonna I'm gonna make uh, Ezra um, for him. And uh, by the way, at this point, no names. It's the man and the woman. Okay. You know just. And so Genesis 3, 1, the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say? This is the key temptation that we face throughout history. You know, can you trust God? You know, can you believe his word? Can, can you, you know, receive that word? The serpent says that, yeah. Um, Genesis 3, 6, um, she, she took the fruit and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. This is the thing that a lot of times people ignore about the fall into sin. It wasn't that Eve ate from the tree and then was like, wow, that's really good. I've got to go find Adam and share it with him. No, he was right there through the whole thing. And this is why, this is why, you know, in, in Romans, it's not Eve's fault, it's Adam's fault. Because he didn't make any effort to stop her. Right. right. And so that's why it says sin entered the world through the one man's action or maybe perhaps better said in action yeah that is what you just said uh, there i think is so powerful in our confession about sins of omission mm -hmm. when we have the power to say no and we don't yeah or the power to do something and we don't yeah yeah so i made the mention um that you know no names yet it's right after this that then uh, Adam, who names all the creatures, uh, names the woman and names her Eve. And we're just, you know, oh, Eve, okay. Anybody know what Eve means? Mother of all. Life giver. Zoe. Yeah, in Greek, it would, in the Septuagint, it is it's Zoe. Which is where you get zoology from. Yep. You know, she, she is the mother of all. She is the life giver. I want to go to the Cleveland Eve today. <laughs> so, you know, I think that this is, is, is something, to, you know, when, when we look at, um, a lot of times, you know, the scriptures have definitely been abused, you know, to create, you know, a sense of patriarchy over the matriarchy or however you want to talk about it. Um, but when you read the scriptures, when you see what the text actually says, do you really think that life giver is like a slur? This, this is a title of honor. But it's funny because in our death-dealing culture, yeah. it has become such a thing, unfortunately. Yeah. No, we, you know, um, the Banned Books podcast, um, I, I, 
I know that Peggy listens to that sometimes. Um, there's a pastor in Minnesota called Don, his name's Donovan Riley, and uh, he often talks about how you know our whole culture is like a death cult. Yes. That we worship death in so many different ways, you know, in, in different aspects of uh, um, our economy, uh, just you know. And even yeah. how we define a woman when a woman chooses to have an abortion is a right to choose. So it's death is masked. Yeah. Oh, I get you. It's it's a it's, it's a masked. choice. It's not a death. Yes. That's what you're saying. Yes. The way that you talk. Right? Okay. Because I have a choice over my body. Therefore, what is masked or hidden is well, it's, death dealing. Sorry. It's it's sort of like. Um, the, the pagan Greeks, when they were referring to, especially when they were referring to Persephone, who was the wife of Hades, um, who is sort of the only god to technically die uh, because she has to go into Hades and everything, whatever. But anyway, um, they, when you're referring to her, you do not refer to her as Persephone because that's considered bad luck because she's dead. So you have to use a euphemism. Mm. So you refer to her as Kore, which means young woman. Um, and uh, I think that it's sort, of, it's sort of the same thing when we talk about death today, be it abortion or even if we're, even if we're just talking about a regular death, oh, well, he just passed on. Yeah. Or he's in a better place, not he died. Yeah. Um, right. And, I, I, you know, uh, to a certain extent, I can kind of see why. But on, on another level, it's, it, it, sometimes it might be a little bit harmful to... Um, well, actually, certainly there are a lot of times when it's very harmful to mask that. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So death then enters the world through sin. You know, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. You know, and uh, you know, and you could probably look at that and say, but they're still breathing. But in that moment, they are spiritually dead. I will put enmity between you and the woman. I have to intervene in such a way that I have to completely change this situation. You know, you've become allies. You have gone into death and I have to drive a wedge to bring you back into life. So, so they're not dead. What's that? You say momentarily dead. No, they're, they're not dead. They are not physically dead, but they were spiritually dead, apart from the promise. Okay. Oh, and also uh, an interesting thing is that God also kills, uh, like physically kills, at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he it says that he clothes. Uh, there's a little bit of you know tying things together here. Um, you know, so some speculation. Which or I guess I guess we always want to be careful. Be, it can be inferred. Yeah, he dresses them in skins, and so the only way to get skins is generally by killing a critter, and uh, you know. So. Which of course, you know. Yeah. You can read into that a lot uh, with the New Testament and everything. But. Yeah. So yeah. Before God made Adam, He made all these critters. Yeah. And He made the male and female. Yep. Except for the earthworms. Right. But. <laughs> But then he just made Adam by himself. And death was not there, at least in terms of Adam. So it would appear to be that, that sort of the idea was that the, 
the animals were to reproduce and multiply, and Adam was to be immortal. It sure seems that way. Yeah, I, it's hard to yeah, hard there, to it down. But it, had, it's know. like so many other things when we when we talk about the beginning. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, we weren't there. And God basically says you don't need to know. None of us were there to observe. And so what he's telling us is really, how did we get into the position that we're in? We need to know that we are created. We need to know that that creation was an act of God's love. Mm -hmm. We need to know that we have uh, broken that relationship. We need to know that in love, God remained faithful and brought a redeemer and a savior for us. And I also think that it's important for us to know that death is not our friend. Right. It is a consequence of sin, mm-hmm. which you know it says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 16 uh, to that extent that death is the last enemy that will be destroyed. And that in Christ, when we live in Christ, we have lived, we live in the one who knew no sin, yeah. but completely died, went to hell, then was complete. Yeah. And that's the only way we can really live. Yeah. Because Christ is complete. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's fair to give Eve the fault of sin in the world. Because it says she gave some to her husband and he ate. Nobody yeah. forced him to. Right, exactly. He, he was did, right there. He, did, he was right there and he made no effort to stop her from doing anything. And he ate. Right. So I, I think it, it's not right to blame Eve. And a lot of men like to blame all women. And it's not our fault. <coughs> Isn't that speculation? Or perhaps it's equally. (laughs) Isn't that speculation, perception, male, probably the male speculation of what the scripture was, the beginning was. And with these multiple versions of text, that's man development. So that brings in all this speculation because they weren't there. And, but yet, there's so many versions of text. What you find actually with the text is that they are very consistent. You know, it, it, so there is a, a, a message out there that, you know, all there, there were, you know, 800 different, you know, stories, and then they all you know, kind of whittled down into what we have today. But, you know, what they found when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then they compared that to what we had previously, you know, just letter for letter, the same. But I have Good News Bible in my house. I have King James in my house yes. for my Missouri set before. Right. And then I have all these versions. And then when I go to read the scripture and start reading through gotcha. the Bible, the language is not, in a way, consistent. Right. In a way, what you're saying, the story is consistent. Right. But the language... It's just how you speculate and interpret that language. So, yeah. so what you're what you're dealing with there are translations. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so when I talk about you know the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, these were written in the original languages. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so comparing the original language to the original language across time, 
the consistency is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yes. now once you start translating, um, they they will say people will say that that the first step in translating is that you betray the text because it's really hard to bring some of these things over directly. Um, you know, I so for instance, say was impossible. yeah. So for instance, our epistle lesson today from Ephesians, mm -hmm. I didn't look at you know, how many sentences are in there, but in Greek, that whole chapter is one sentence. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You know, and that is terrible English. It's not that fantastic of Greek either, um, but uh, you know, how do you bring that in in order to communicate? You know, and so do you try to make sure that you get every word? You know, exactly the the best crossover. You know, into the English language, which is often hard to do because the words often have a range of meanings in different contexts. Um, or do you try to get the overall sense? And you know, try to communicate that. So the King James, when they translated, that they wanted to make a very faithful word-for-word -word, um, type of translation. Now they did that beautifully and artistically, um, and it, it's it's a wonderful translation. The only thing uh, that that we really have against it, well, two things. One, they didn't have uh, some of the the best texts. Mm -hmm for different books, you know, the most historically reliable, okay? Uh, going back to the original languages. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, nobody talks like that anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So, really, to my knowledge, kind of starting in the, in the, the, the 60s, there was a big push to bring this into a more modernized language. You know, so, okay, we're going to get the revised standard version, mm -hmm. which is just the King James with a little bit of updates and tweaks here and there yeah. to make it a little bit more understandable. But then other people say, I still don't understand this. Mm -hmm. So how do I bring this in to make it even more understandable? And that's where the good news um, yes. version yes. comes from, which isn't a translation, but a paraphrase. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, if you're familiar with the message that Eugene Peterson did, is is that's kind of a hybrid. He did a little bit of translation and a little bit of paraphrasing, you know, and so it it can go very far from the original text. Mm -hmm. But this is all in the process of bringing it across into English. This is why they are going to torment Wes uh, at St. Louis and he will love every second of it, by forcing him to learn the original languages. Well, uh, when, I was, when I was translating portions of, of John for, for uh, college, um, my, uh, my professor, uh, Rod Ehrman, um, he, would always, he would always say, forget every translation that you have read, um, and, which is extremely hard to do. It is. But, and, I, I don't think that I that I ever really for, forgot them, but I, I tried my darndest to. Yeah. Um, and because you run into the problem, if, if you're trying to translate that, you run into the problem of potentially doing a paraphrase instead of a translation. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and, and so there, there, there are so many there are so many little minutiae in there that, that you want to you want to quote like the King James Version or the RSV or something for that, but you can't because that's not what the text says. Yeah. You know. It's like Spanish. It is. Because the fact that in health, 
and I speak un poquito, a yeah. bit of Spanish. Uh, you go to speak someone in Venezuela, and you say that same word. Yep. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. The teacher that I learned Spanish from in high school was um, Puerto Rican. I met some Spaniards, and they thought it was hilarious. Right. It's like Canadian French and Parisian French is the same, or Belgian French. Yep. It's just all dialect yeah. differently. Yes. Yeah. And innuendo and all kinds of things that make the language very different in each country. Even English from different parts yeah. of our country. Yep. There's words different parts of the country. Yeah, I don't understand what they yeah. Broken language, in other words, is ghetto language or something like that. Yeah. We are still dealing with the curse of Babel. The language continues to splinter, you know, in, in a lot of ways. You know, so, I mean, this is, this is just a really silly example. A carbonated beverage that's highly loaded with sugar and caramel coloring. Is that Coke? Or is it soda? Is it pop? Is it soda? What did you say? Gatorade. Gatorade <laughs> is not carbonated. <laughs> or a soft drink. Yeah. Or a soft drink. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. Or drinks. that thing back there on the wall between the bathrooms. Is that a drinking fountain? A bubbler? You know. Scuttlebutt. A scuttlebutt. That's a new one for me. That's from that's Navy. Scuttlebutt is a thing that goes through the deck and the butt is the end of a pipe. Yep. My favorite is what is a devil strip? Oh my god. What's that one? Devil strip. Only in Akron. Yes. I've never heard that one. That's the tree lawn between the side and the street. Oh, the tree lawn. The devil strip. I've never heard that one. There are city signs some places saying, do not park on the devil strip. Devil strip. Okay. All right. It's official. Well, let me let me wrap us up with a quick story, and and then we will pick up with the whole death entered the world through sin, because I made it through. Not even a verse. So, uh, no, no. I went to a I went to a funeral uh, a while. It was ten years ago or whatever. What uh, one of the duties that uh, that I will perform from time to time is just attend, be there for the family uh, at a funeral. And uh, this particular funeral was done at a Unitarian uh, church, and um, Unitarians. If I'm being less than charitable, I, I, they believe anything and nothing, you know, as far as I can tell. Um, and, uh, and so at this funeral, um, the pastor says, you know, that, you know, he's, she's talking about uh, um, the person who died and how this is actually a gift uh, that they died. And that if you go back to the creation, you know, God recognized that Adam and Eve um, would not be happy living forever, and so he gave them death. Oh, my gosh. And that, you know, then, that therefore, you know, death is a good gift that God gives us so that, you know, you know we, we can be happy. And uh, that is not at all what the text says. And I tell this story because I think a lot of times the way that we approach death you know, it, it has been very much twisted and perverted um, from the uh, what 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 God actually teaches us about death. That death is actually 
a consequence for sin, that it is actually an enemy. You know, and it is an enemy that comes into this world and reveals that this is not the way God intended it to be. So, um, we'll wrap up on that. And uh, if you haven't gone to church yet, go to church. And uh, um, if you have gone to church, don't spoil the sermon for people who haven't. Uh, um, but uh, um, we'll, pick, we'll pick up talking about death next week. Ha <laughs> ha